face the barren waste without the taste of water Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm Kevin. Jonathan. I'm JR. Once again, we wish all the best to Jonathan and his baby daughter. Hope she gets well soon. But today we are here to talk about quite a few movies. At least JR and I are here to talk about quite a few movies. I'm here to listen. Yes. (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about Synchronicity New York and... The Coen Brothers' latest, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. How's everybody doing? Available on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that sponsorship thing in early. I can't tell if you messed up that title on purpose or not. Yes, I did. Because okay. <laughs> remember, I messed it up last time. Not not on purpose, but I was like, you know. Just put, I in, just, a, put in a different S word every time you say it. We're yeah, going to yeah. talk about Seinfeld, New York. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Synchronized New York. Yeah. yeah, we're going. We're just going straight straight into movies today, right? Right. Well, any news? Let's see. Oh, did anybody watch the uh, Lion King teaser that's on on the blog? Yeah, I did. Okay, what do y'all think? I'm confused Why? about how it's live action. What's live action about? Yeah, <laughs> literally nothing. There's no like unless a human shows up at some point. It's animated. Granted, it's CGI, but like it's not like Milo and Otis where they were able to you know film a cat and a dog as they go on adventures so it's just an a, an, a remake that is differently animated yes <laughs> and that's, exactly that's okay i'm just confused about calling it live action i don't, when are they I don't stop? know why they're doing that they're, they're not going to stop i don't think they're so going to got aladdin like, and lion king in the yeah like i'm waiting for i'm Mulan. waiting for rescuers oh. they're not gonna do that well they might like well, 10 they, years from now right <laughs> right or they might do rescuers down under. Little Mermaid. Like, they might do that. I don't know. I could see. That, I, know. I could see that because that was the one that kind of like really like opened the door for like the rest of them, right? Yeah, and it's also a very popular Broadway musical. Yeah, so yeah. I just imagine if it's if it's got a Broadway musical, it's probably on the list, right? To get remade. Great Mouse Detective doesn't have a Broadway musical. It does not. Shit. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. Other than that, it's been a pretty depressing week for film fans because everyone dying. Yeah, like it started yeah. with, started with started with Nicholas Reg, <laughs> then William Goldman, then Bertolucci, and who am I forgetting? The creator uh, of SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, oh, yeah creator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of ALS, and that's a real bummer. It, it's like <laughs> we're, we're getting to, yeah, we're getting to that point where like. It's almost 2020. Yeah. And like people, you know, all these heroes from the 60s and 70s, they're all going to just start dying. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just weird that they all died in one week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we, we didn't spread out the, uh, yeah. The film Titan deaths. Yeah. I remember like back in 2016, there were a lot of like, I guess for people of our generation, a lot of like people that we really admired and looked up to died. And, you know, there were a lot of people who are still saying like, Oh, well, you know, celebrities and people die all the time. You know, 2016 wasn't necessarily that bad. 2016 took away Greg Lake and Keith Emerson. It took away two guys of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. David Bowie, too. Yeah, David Bowie. First um, few days of 
Yeah, January. Prince. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, two guys out of a trio, that was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we got some terrible news, though. Uh, Netflix going to make a live-action Cowboy Bebop show. Is that for real? It's, it's for real. Why? 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 Why is this happening? <laughs> I... <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Like, is is there ever going to be a point where Netflix goes? You know what? Maybe we don't need to do that. I was actually the, looking through the Netflix shows, like the new releases. That like, I I don't know what anything is. Yeah, it, like it's I, it's so difficult to keep up with anything that's I feel on old. there. Yeah, and if you're not watching them, you're, they're not really marketing them to you. Yeah, like there's <laughs> there's a few that they want you to watch, but you know, yeah, they. They're, they're reading your algorithms closely, and if you're not interested, <laughs> yeah. they're like, oh, I'm not going to waste my time on him. Right. See, like, the problem is, is, like, my wife will watch some, like, she'll watch, like, Sabrina, the new Sabrina show, mm-hmm. and then they'll just load it up with, like, all these, like, Netflix horror shows and horror movies. I'm like, I don't want to watch any of this. I got <laughs> Right. I do want to watch a couple of those. I, I would like to watch Sabrina, and I would like to Sabrina watch the... Sabrina uh, is pretty good, and I'm not, I'm not really a fan, or I, I've never watched it or anything, but uh, it's well done. And cool. pretty pretty freaky at points. Nice. Very liberal with the uh, Satanism. Oh. <laughs> like hardcore. It's pretty awesome. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely che- worth checking out. Did you cool. guys watch the uh, House on Haunted Hill? Did we talk about that already? Uh, the Haunting of I think we did. Hill House? I don't know. My wife watched a couple oh, no. episodes uh, of it. I didn't, I didn't watch it yet. Yeah, my brother told me, told me about it. Apparently, it's like a, like sequel to like the book mm. um some sort of like re like like unofficial sequel cool. but uh but i just finished reading um a shirley jackson book um we have always lived in the castle which is going to be a movie with um alexandra daddario and sebastian stan and tysa tasa farmiga however you pronounce her first name and didn't think much of the book, so I doubt the movie is going to be that much better. We have always lived in the castle. Sounds like some rich people shit. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just never heard of it. No <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. All right, so on to the movies. You guys dive in. Yeah, let me. <laughs> yeah. How about I... Um, how about I start with Crank High Voltage? Yes, yes, please. Yes, just I, an immediate kind of dying to hear about those. Yes, immediate <laughs> sequel to the. And when I say it's an immediate sequel to the last Crank, I mean the first shot in the movie is a well is is the last shot of the of Crank. Uh, That's him, cool. That's cool. Him hitting the ground and then a big van speeding up to where he has fallen, and a bunch of Chinese guys jumping out and pulling him in uh, because. In this movie, in this crank, Chev Chelios, played by Jason Statham, in case uh, anyone missed our last episode, uh, is trying to track down the Chinese gang that took his heart out to put in their old, like, dying leader and replaced it with a uh, a temporary battery-powered heart. And, of course, that temporary battery-powered heart is constantly running out of juice. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Um, <laughs> Why don't they just kill him? 
they can't kill him because they have to get the heart out while it's pumping. Why don't they kill him after, after they get the heart? Yeah. Because the grand plan is to harvest all of his organs after that, starting with his uh huh. starting with his large member. Interesting. It's a very um right out of the gate <laughs> we jump into some some real racist shit. Uh <laughs> it's pretty bad. Um the because I remember some of the Asian girls on the bus were talking about how big his dick was. Right. So right. So can you do a dick transplant? Can, I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> I don't. Well, maybe. Who knows? What the fuck do I know? I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a dick doctor. Um, let's leave that for another podcast. I'm gonna look that up. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Wi-Fi password? So so that's the setup of crank high voltage. He of course wakes up before. Uh, Another surgery can happen. He kills the doctors operating on him, escapes, and is uh, constantly looking for an electric source of some kind to power his heart. Um, The way this movie is set up and the way it plays out, uh, just like plot-wise, is probably a little bit more sophisticated than the original. Uh, And it's also just... The pacing is so much better. There are no long sequences of Jason Statham just making phone calls. Does it look better? Like, it does look better. It, does, okay. mm. it it goes like more aggressively handheld, but it's just done more competently. Hmm. It's but still cheaply. Like mm. John would still hate this. Like it's right. still, it, it does not look good. Mm. It just looks better. Better than um, yeah. cell phone video. And they're they're still doing like a lot of the the stupid like effects. Uh, you know, like the uh, like the cunt spell on the forehead thing. Right. There's similar gags like that, but there are fewer of them. Um, and about 45 minutes into the movie, there's actually a point where we we follow like a different character, not just Jeff Chelios. Like, oh, Amy Smart is back, mm. and we we actually follow her down the street for a few minutes, which is it was jarring at first, but it, it worked out. Um, it's still funny. The ending is ridiculous <laughs> in a good way. Is Lots it, of things that happen uh, t- until that ending are ridiculous in bad ways. Is it op- is the ending open ended like uh, the first crank? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't. It's been nine years. I don't think they're making another one though. Right. Yeah. The. <laughs> I mean, it, they it, have Grand Theft Autos that look better than this one, so. Yeah. Why bother? <laughs> if you don't ever want to watch this movie, and I'm not gonna necessarily recommend it, um, go watch like the last 15 minutes. The cl- it's it is absurd. <laughs> it's fucking insane. Uh, it involves Cl- Clifton Collins ends up being like the the big bad guy here, and it's uh he's Verona's brother. And he's, uh, uh, he's great. He's wonderful. Nothing wrong with him. He's just right. Does it have the jumper cables on the tongue? Yeah, that's really early in the movie, oh, really? too. Super hmm. early. Hmm. Uh, but problems. Problems. <laughs> problems. Everybody is a racist stereotype. Yeah, it's it's bad. Mm. Um, and uh, Is it like commentary kind of level, or is it just no, like... No, 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 no. It's just, just trying to be tasteless. Okay, it's just yeah, okay, trying to be yeah. absolutely tasteless. Okay, gotcha. The old gangster who gets <laughs> Chelios' heart... Is is David Carradine in an Asian face? It's like really, yeah. 
Wait, it's actually David Carradine? Did I get the Yeah, it's David Carradine. It's David Carradine and Asian wow. Face. It's of real all bad. people, you and would think that he would have been like, "Hey guys, maybe we don't do this." Well, it's I think it's wow. Again, and again, it's all it's all a joke and it's all just supposed to like he's got like the long wispy the old Fu- man beard, the Fu Manchu the, thing. Yes, Ooh, and he yeah. is uh, he is in the back of a limo with this brand new heart pumping through him, just like catcalling uh, prostitutes and stuff, and just like making like like sucky <laughs> like sucky sucky noises, and just like oh my god, this had to be one of his last movies. Uh, I hope it wasn't the. <laughs> I hope it wasn't the actual last movie, uh, but you know his name. When they say his name, it doesn't sound ridiculous because uh-huh. it sounds vaguely Chinese. But he's credited as playing Poondong. And <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. That is they like usually some... say it They say it faster than I'm saying it, so it doesn't. <laughs> I'm really letting you hear it. I'm not even going to attempt that. Jesus. That's extreme. It is. And yeah, yeah. That, that's. There are. Um, <laughs> There again, like there are more issues with like the, the LGBTQ characters. Like Efren Ramirez comes back as Cato's twin brother Venus, who wants to avenge Cato's death, but he's got full body Tourette's. So every time he's in any situation, what? he just starts like his whole body just starts freaking out. So like now the movie wants me to laugh at this ridiculous uh, <laughs> gay character. Who, and also someone with like a horrible disease. Jesus. <laughs> like they're just, just they're piling <laughs> they're piling it on so thick with some of these characters. Wow. Um, Jeez. Have these guys made anything else besides these crank movies? Yeah, they made uh we talked about last time they made Gamer with yeah. uh Gerard Butler and Oh Michael right, C. which was also pretty shit. And they made the second uh the second Nick Cage Ghostwriter movie. Which was better than the first Nick Cage Ghost Rider movie, but that's all I can really say about yeah. it. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, in while you're watching this movie, while I was watching this movie, like I was, I'm still enjoying the pacing. I, like there's a lot more action in this than in the first one, mm-hmm. and it's often a lot of fun. And some of the stuff is actually funny, uh, but so much of it is just. It's trying so hard to be over the top with yeah. just how Shocking. nasty it is. And that's I I wish that was not the lesson they took from the first crank. Like that's mm. the part we need to ratchet up more. That was not the part they needed. And I didn't yeah. I logged this, I didn't give it a rating because I just like right. it makes me just like a little queasy. Um but it also it makes me feel worse because I did actively enjoy a lot of it. And that makes me feel like a shitty human. The lead singer in Linkin Park does come back, though. So. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. And it's just... Like, Amy Smart is, is pretty good in parts of this, but, like, there's another public humiliation scene where, like, she, she chooses it, and they're the, it's so... The public sex is so much more ridiculous <laughs> like, in this movie. Did they do it again? It's at, a, it's at a horse track. They end up on the track... Uh, but it ends it ends with like a, a a groundskeeper on the track bringing out a fire hose to like spray them down but he only sprays like he only sprays Amy Smart and so she's like 
rolling down the track, getting sprayed with the water hose. And of co- uh, in an obvious nod to the first one, Chev Chelios gets a phone call and, uh, and goes off. Wow. This yeah. is Crank High Voltage. Go ahead and uh, not see this one. I'm good. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I I enjoyed the first one, but this one just that. It, mm, it, and I I wish I could say more positive things about it, but the the same things. Yeah, there there are positive <clears throat> things. They're just they're just the same things they did in Crank One that kind of are are a bit more polished. Right. So yeah. Uh, Five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing. I'm no. gonna say two and a half. Maybe two. Honestly, if I go if I go more than two and a half, I just feel like I'm endorsing this movie, and I feel like that's a bad idea. So two and a half. Well, Jr. Don't get don't sit down too much. You want to talk about widows? Sure, and that's all I'm doing. I'm just talking about your movies because I watched all the same movies. Yeah, we ended up pretty much watching the same movies this week. I mean, I watched I watched some Monty Python, which you didn't, but there's still so, plenty of. So other... we're gonna have a real a real dialogue here. That's right, and, like the literal meaning. Two two people talking. Yeah, not three. Yeah, he's not even listening anymore. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, no, at this <laughs> like at this point, this is like the Joe Rogan podcast. Like, I'm Joe Rogan because I'm bald. You're my guest, and, and you like wrestling. Yeah, and Jonathan is Jamie who. He's the sound engineer, and like every now and then, you know, he <laughs> speaks up and says a few things. But <laughs> what is this movie? Widows? Or does does Joe Rogan Widows. like uh, the uh, the new Steve McQueen movie? Joe Rogan likes USC, not wrestling. Or does he like? Right? Maybe he likes both. I don't know. Don't actually listen to much Joe Rogan. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that he says. I'm like, dude, shut up! Like you're just totally wrong, and you're just like for all of. For all of his, like, you know, curiosity about the world and how things work and et cetera, et cetera, he really, like, settles on one particular opinion and then just kind of sits on it for a long, long time, (laughs) regardless of whether, you know, whether it's correct or not or, you know, know. it's like he's looked into it and he knows as opposed to, like, he has an idea, say. That's a that's, yeah, that's a very human <clears throat> thing. I get that. Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. three point two out of two five out of five. <laughs> I give it a three. Some of his guests are pretty good, but I mean Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, widows. Anyway, widows. Yeah. So So Liam Neeson and John Bernthal and who am I forgetting? Two guys that don't matter. Two guys that don't matter. They they pull a heist. And shit goes wrong. Everybody dies. And so the widows of all these criminals have to get together with Viola Davis, who was Liam Neeson's widow. And they got to get a plan together to get $2 million. And none of them have any criminal experience, but they're going to make it work. Because they're strong-willed women. Now. What a strange well, idea you, for me. You left some stuff out of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> someone is actively threatening. Yes, yes. Like, like, the people who lost their money to Liam Neeson, uh, 
and that that money burned up in a fire when the van exploded oh okay. right like okay. uh those people are actively threatening viola davis uh you know yeah with harm and just possessing all of her stuff yeah so the the strong will kind of comes out of necessity for sure mm. in this instance but you know, continue continue <laughs> with your incorrectly <laughs> negative review <laughs> and also there's colin farrell <laughs> Who's just saying everything? Now. Yeah, who's like a sixth generation alderman who's running for running for election or re-election? Election, election. He, yeah, in, his his in dad this, has retired. Is retiring. Yeah, his dad played by Robert Duvall, who like just really gets into the racism. <laughs> just he just yeah, really just, relishes those n words. Yeah, he really does. It's it's odd. fun. Yeah, <laughs> and. So for me, the movie is going on until about, I guess, about halfway through, and I'm liking it. Then from that point on, things start to go like really south for me. Things start to get like really forced. There's a lot of hero speeches, a lot of, you know, I've lived my life this way my entire life, but never again. And it's like, I can see the merit to that. But it felt so much like it just felt so forced. And there are some plot twists that I didn't really see coming. But when they did happen, I was like, oh, that's not very good. And yeah, so the movie itself left me pretty cold. JR. I was 100% in on this movie. (laughs) I... I enjoyed every turn it took, even though like thinking about some of the things that happened afterwards, I was like, well, that's kind of stupid. And like this, the plan, like Viola Davis doesn't have a plan. Mm. Viola Davis has left Liam Neeson's book of plans. Right. And like she has, she and her team have to figure some shit out and, and, they have to use their brains, and they do. But the plan itself uh, is Liam Neeson's, and the plan itself is is not what I would call like a, a masterminded uh, like heist plan. It just it just seems like a we could have thought this out a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but I really liked the three main widows. Uh, Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, and Elizabeth Debicki. I thought they were all great. And mm-hmm. like your moment, like my rebuttal to the speeches thing is like Viola Davis does give these speeches because she is living in a place of fear. And about two thirds from the movie, she learns something without really telling the audience uh, that kind of changes her outlook on what's going on. And I won't go into that because it's, it's spoiler heavy. Right. And then like Elizabeth Debicki when she does say like I'm not going to let people treat me like that anymore I, I feel like that moment was earned because we do like we don't see her get punched around by John Bernthal but we do get like see her the first time we see her is with a black eye. Yeah. Um, and we see how her mother is shitty to her mm. and, and I feel like that moment is earned after all the shit she has been through in this movie when Viola Davis slaps her for her to be like, fuck you and fuck this. 
that's yeah, not and it's not how we're doing this yeah and she gets her own slap back to viola yeah. davis so um and there's a lot like this movie is is about the heist and it's also about institutional racism and it's about like it's about neighborhoods in urban places it's it's about a lot of things and it's about all these things without having to beat all of them over the top of your head like i i felt like steve mcqueen did a great job with his themes with colin farrell and robert duvall without giving them too much screen time like they are connected to the story because of the heist mm. it turns out I think that's not necessarily a spoiler. Maybe it is. Retroactive spoiler alert. Who knows? Damn. Yeah, I mean, they are connected to <laughs> to the situation. I'll never see this. Really? No. You just spoiled it for me. Oh. <laughs> no. Were Were you never going to see this, or were you? I honestly never even heard of this. What? Yeah, I, I don't we've know talked how, about the deep. trailer on this podcast. I don't more than how, once. I, I he think might I, not have been here because we I talked about the teaser, wasn't. and then. I like think a, I two even, months later, we talked about the full one. I think I even saw the te- teaser. I just like totally forgot about this. Right. But yeah. Um, have any of you guys read any of uh, Jillian, Gillian, Jillian Flynn's novels? I've read Gone Girl. No. And yeah. I wasn't particularly like, there are parts of it that I thought were really good. But then like, like with this movie, like it gets to a certain point and then it starts to go down. Like the like the tension has been built up and it doesn't it doesn't resolve itself in a satisfying way for me. Okay, then since all right since uh, Jonathan you <laughs> haven't read since you haven't read any Gillian Flynn I'll just go ahead and not not touch my comment. She's a co writer on this. Right. Movie. No, go ahead by all means. Uh, it's just if you know her books, her presence in the script is uh, is definitely felt. Mm. But um. That's it. The, I, I agree that this movie's ending was not nearly as satisfying as its first hour. Yeah. Um, and I get tired of some of Steve McQueen's overly technical camera stuff. And that, that is probably just more a personal preference. Like I think, I think he's probably going to get nominated for best director. If this movie gets nominated for nothing else, it'll probably be for best director just because yeah. of some of the technical wizardry stuff in here. But um, yeah, because like to your point about making making like you know putting issues on the screen, but not necessarily beating you over the head with them. There's a really nice shot where like so like the camera like pans. It follows Colin Farrell as he gets into the car, and it's just sitting on the car while dialogue is happening. And they are, in and they a, leave this like, a poor like, neighborhood. Yeah, it's like total like you know, third world country gangland slum, and they're driving, and the whole shot takes maybe like five minutes, and literally five minutes later, they're at Colin Farrell's nice mansion. In like some nice neighborhood yeah. in Chicago, wow. and for the whole shot, it's <clears throat> the camera's been locked on the hood of this car, mm. and Cam, uh, Com Farrell and his assistant—that's assistant. a that was a confusing relationship. Uh, they are in yeah, the back like, of this car. Yeah, she gets very like, you know, you're gonna do this, yeah, whether you like it or not. And there, there, that was an interesting conflict. Was interesting, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was an interesting conflict that I didn't feel like got like 
as resolved as it should have with like Colin Farrell, like not wanting the life that he's in, but then like, you know, not really doing anything to get out of it. Yeah. But so this shot on the hood of this car, like when they're having the conversation, uh, as the car moves, it slowly pans across the windshield of the car. So by the end of it, you like we're looking at the passenger side of the car. And at the end, we're looking at the driver's side so we can see the driver of the car, who is African-American. Colin Farrell and the assistant are still talking in the back. But they get out of the car at the end of the shot, and they're at his house. His house is a fucking mansion in a different neighborhood. Mm. Obviously, it is meant to show you, like, how close these worlds are. And, And it really... Colin Farrell is, is talking specifically about like this poor black neighborhood. And while he's doing so, we're looking at a black driver just staring out ahead, obviously hearing everything Colin Farrell is saying that is not, you know, super great. Yeah. yeah like, uh, like certain, certain, certain things that he says are like, well, that's inappropriate. Yeah. And that's, I like that shot. I like what it communicates. Yeah. And in the moment, it's like the the camera's panning so slowly that it, you don't re- you don't know what's happening. You're like, why, why did he make this choice? Why are we just looking at the windshield of a fucking car? Um, I like that. And there's a there's a cool shot scene, I guess, where uh, Daniel Kalua, who is kind of our, I mean, everyone's a bad guy, but he's maybe our baddest guy. He's the um, sociopath of the group. Yeah. Um, the camera starts circling around Daniel Kaluuya as he's talking to someone who has fucked up, and you don't really know what's about to happen. And I think the camera is creating some tension because it's constantly like bringing you back around to Kaluuya's face, which is just so strange. Yeah, <laughs> as, it's like- as he is dealing with this situation, it's fucking weird. Yeah, he is ice cold. Yeah, in this thing. It's so those are those are good, it, but there is like a bunch of like we did like a tracking shot where we just like watched someone get out of a car that was like like you're just showing off right here like we didn't need this one. Um, okay, that's, that's all I do. Yeah, that's just there's <laughs> there are good examples of his directing, and I think some parts where he just went over the top. Yeah, and like the. Uh, the scene where like he goes to see uh, Kevin J O'Connor at his like bar bowling alley, and like so like Kevin J O'Connor's character is in a wheelchair, and he's like cleaning some stuff in the bowling alley. Kalua like pushes him out of the chair and like you know starts kicking him and all this all this stuff, and like he starts like stabbing his legs and like oh you can't feel that can you you can't feel that it's like okay. We get that he's a sociopath, but like now it's now it's beyond like anything that you know we need to know or like you know the characters need to know like, and that that was one of the things that like I talked about when I talked about um twelve years twelve years a slave. It's like yes, we understand you know slaves were whipped and it was brutal, it was fucking horrible, and now we're just gonna literally just watch it for five minutes Mm -hmm. it's like okay like we get the point and like what like what else do you want us to take from this besides oh my god that was brutal 
like it's, what more can we take take from it yeah you know the next time they go to that bowling alley though i did think he showed a lot of restraint because there are some things that happen that second time that are implied that we do not see mm. um i'm and i'm not so i'm not really defending the 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 instance you said just maybe more it's inconsistent or mm. you know, maybe he did use that first time to to like make sure that the next time we go to the bowling alley we we have a shorthand i don't know right um ratings that's all yeah that's yeah. all i have to say so i gave it 2.75 i gave it a 4.25 and this is Damn. uh if not one of the i mean i think it is one of the best movies of the year but i also think it's just one of the most interesting movies of 2018 that i've seen mm-hmm. and like cool cool you know i like mission impossible fallout more but mission impossible fallout <laughs> is not as interesting a film as this one right all right. Well, what you got next, Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll do a Monty Python double feature. So, so I can't. You don't want me to argue about that one, I, I see. I mean, you could. <laughs> you could. I might. Yeah. So I rewatched um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Meaning of Life. And, like, both of these are still just as hilarious as when I first saw them and wrong just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I won't do that again yeah like every, everything from you know like are you suggesting coconuts migrate and uh, like and like there's a fantastic scene in the meaning of life where um, like there's it takes place during like a Zulu war and they're following like the British officers. And one of them during the night lost a leg and Hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, this is nothing to worry about. It was love it about probably a virus. Uh, keep warm, plenty of rest. And if you're playing football or anything, try and favor the other leg. Okay. It'll, uh, it'll just grow back again. Then will it? Um, I think I better come clean with you about this. It's not a virus, I'm afraid. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> you weren't there, man. You weren't there. Um, <laughs> but yes, and like John Cleese playing the school teacher giving the sex lesson where he actually does have sex with his wife. That's hilarious. And it Sounds disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you see it, it's not. You know, uh, it actually features uh, Patricia Quinn, who's probably more, yeah, most famous for uh, being magenta in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Cool. Yeah. Also, I do have to say, there's a behind the scenes of meaning of life called the meaning of the making of meaning of life. And mm-hmm. whoever put that together, like they just put it together brilliantly. Like there's a, there's some like older footage of John Cleese talking about this one scene, how like dreadful. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Trying to do you know, a little bit. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're yeah. peeking out here. Yeah. yeah Kevin's excitement <laughs> is just exploding <laughs> the uh, audio interface. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. 
So Khalees is saying, like, dreadfully boring, unbelievably tedious, and utterly unrewarding. And then it cuts to him in modern day. I think it was a happy set. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the whole thing about um, the Crimson Permanent Assurance, which was initially going to be one sketch, and then they gave it to Terry Gilliam to direct, and, like, John Cleese said, like, um... I th- next thing I'd heard, he had produced a sequence which I think was 31 minutes and had gone a million dollars over budget. And then they cut to Gilliam. I don't know how much it cost. I'm told it was pretty expensive. But nobody ever told me to stop. <laughs> I figured a producer would come along and say, get out. But no one ever did. Which was... Knowing what I know now about Terry Gilliam, it's like, that is pretty hilarious because that never happened again. Yeah. Like um, we'll 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 talk more about this when we get to uh, other side of the wind, and they'll love me when I'm dead. But like directors having to put up with interference and all that's like really interesting. Sweet. So rating, yeah. ratings on this? Oh, five for both. Cool. Yeah, the movie's disgusting. Of course. <laughs> all I remember. You're just is, going by. All I remember is the restaurant scene. Well, it's supposed to be gross. Yeah, it works. It's gross. Yeah. Oh, and the uh, the liver donor scene. Look, I can't give it to you now. It says in the event of death, no one's ever had a liver taken out by us and survived. Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Jr. I will do. Uh, I got one more movie that you didn't watch, so I'll do uh, Blind Spotting. Uh, Blind Spotting is a movie that came out maybe August, July, mm-hmm. uh, about a couple of just local guys in Oakland. Uh is no Dubby Diggs is. Yeah. Uh like Tony winning Hamilton stage actor. Uh and he's also a rapper in a pretty cool group called Clipping. Um so Dubby Diggs is three days away from the end of his probation and he's trying to stay out of trouble in like a an Oakland that is very quickly uh gentrifying in a direction that you know is like as one as one person says like why would i move when there's all this like good fucking food here (laughs) (laughs) but uh is you know it's pushing like people out of the city and you know like like gentrification does yeah um so in the opening sequence Diggs sees a cop shooting and killing a young black man and then uh, the movie just kind of follows Diggs and his friend over the next three days as they uh, move furniture in and out of houses. And Diggs like, quietly deals with uh, what he saw. And uh, the other guy, by the way, is played by Raphael Casal, who, whom I've never heard of. Mm. Uh, Diggs and Casal wrote this together. And there's like a lot of musical stuff in it. They like they kind of wild the day away rapping to themselves about their situations and uh it's really cool it's a cool little little movie Diggs and casal are both really good they're uh they're both like their lives are going in in different directions it never feels very heavy-handed even when it gets like it gets pretty stylized in some places uh with some like dream sequences that are really cool Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times it's very colorful. It's nice to look at. And uh, the only problem with this movie is uh, is the ending. 
the ending is like uh when the ending happens you're like oh i now i see what you've been doing now that colors everything that came before it is like oh. it's like you wrote you wrote this ending scene and you were like this could be a movie and then you just like <laughs> oh, reverse no. reverse engineer from that oh no um, so that is a bummer, but there are great performances, a lot of awesome moments. And, you know, it's like the first time they made a movie. Give them, give them a pass. Three and a half out of five. Cool. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff here. Cool. That's it. One other that you hadn't watched. So I finally got around to rewatching Mulholland Drive. And Sweet. And I maintain that... I mean, I still haven't seen Twin Peaks The Return, but I doubt that, like, anything in there is going to be better than the Club Silencio sequence in Mulholland Drive. Like, that, for me, is, like, the whole thing is a 10 out of 10. There's some shit that gets close. Oh. Like, you're probably right. Okay. But... I want, mean, Jonathan's our, re- our resident... Episode lynch. 8. Hmm? Episode 8 well, of The I mean, Return. Okay. You need, to, is, is you like, need to watch it. Yeah, I know, I know. I've, I've been meaning to. Top shelf lynch. <clears throat> Yeah. Yep. Have you seen uh, Firewalk with me? I need to watch it again because, okay. like, like when last time I saw it, like I had just finished watching like um, the original series of Twin Peaks, and Firewalk with me is not made for fans of the original series. No. It's, it's made Neither. for fans of David Lynch. Neither is the Return. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I think it was. Wasn't it John who I said mean, like or like not really? All right. Well, like, I, I really like, like Twin Peaks, but I also no, oh, I love both. I, of I them. like Change too. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I love them both. Yeah. Well, wasn't didn't Lynch say something like you could just watch Firewalk with Me and The Return and like you don't really need? I, I don't know. I would say that that is not true. He might have said that, yeah. but I would right. Okay. Part of what makes The Return interesting is like the internal tension the viewer gets with like what's going on with uh like with Kyle McLaughlin. Like, oh, right. Yeah. And that requires you to have seen the the original series. Right. But yeah, so Mulholland Drive like <laughs> It's one of the, it's one of those movies like, you know, you got to you got to think about it for, you know, a little while. Um, I don't know, like, you know, I, I've said before, like, I'm, I guess I just don't really, like, get Lynch. Like, I mean, I love the Club Silencio sequence, but, like, for me, the rest of the movie, like, I only gave it, like, three and a quarter. See, and, like... By saying I don't get Lynch, you've now given us permission to not take your opinion seriously. Well, yeah, you don't like it because you don't get it. <laughs> Like you guys were gonna take my opinion seriously anyway? No, we do. Like, oh, well, you take yeah, oh. I take it seriously. Oh, well. I don't. I don't think there's a lot to get. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, I don't know. Like, it was you can kind of just let it wash over you. Yeah, just watch it. I don't know. It's like there's a lot of like you know subliminal messages and yeah subtext and whatnot. But I mean, yeah, and I haven't like uh, I read that there was something that came in. I get. I guess it was just the DVD. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's in the Criterion Blu-ray. But, like, there's some, like, card where Lynch says, like, look for this, look for that. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think I've seen that. Uh, it was on the Wikipedia page. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's like, um, like, like, look for this. Does it get mentioned again? Uh, 
things like that. And like, um, like the thing that really kind of like put me out of it. There's the scenes with um, Justin Theroux and, um, you know, like that that scene with him and Angelo Badalamenti spitting the coffee back up. And it's like, as as the viewer, you know, people who have seen mob movies, you know, we understand like, okay, that's what's going on here. You know, someone in a position of power wants Camilla Rhodes in this movie because they think it's going to be a big vehicle for her. Mm-hmm. But apparently Justin Theroux's character has never seen a mob movie, so he just doesn't, or somehow he just doesn't make the connection that that's what's going on. And that really was like, you're a film director and you don't understand that the mob is has their ties into your movie and the studio system? <laughs> like, that was, that was the things that, like, you know, like, the box, the, um, the guy dying of a heart attack after seeing the, um, you know, the hobo and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Which, like, I'm going to have to talk to uh, Jordan about that again. Like, apparently he thought, like, that was one of the scariest things that he had ever seen. And I was like, eh, not really. I mean... <laughs> But anyway, um, I was scared yeah. when I was. It's creepy, but well, I was scared yeah. the first time I saw it. But yeah. I was yeah. fourteen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like maybe, like I know for a fact that when I first saw this movie when I was nineteen, I just you know I I didn't get it. But I was nineteen. You know, I don't think a nineteen-year-old is really legitimately able to get a Lynch movie. Like they can say that they do, but. You know, you're 19 and you're just discovering what film is or what you think film is. And so, but now as an adult, like I can appreciate a lot of what's going on in the movie, but it just doesn't pull me in like maybe it should. Yeah, it's understandable. Except for Silencio and like Rebecca Del Rio's version of Roy Orbison's crying is so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think the reason I like this movie in particular is like you can just tell that Lynch is like he's like an idea. He's just like an idea guy. Mm. He just has like note cards of ideas, and then he just like throws them all in a movie. Right. And I like that, and like the, you get gems like that, like the Silencio scene. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's ah. pretty dense. I can understand why someone wouldn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the thing too, like, like, um. I don't know how much of it they showed to ABC or whoever before they filmed the final stuff and made yeah. it into the movie that it is. So I don't know like what things were supposed to be necessarily resolved if it had become a series or miniseries. Um, I wish it would have been. That would have been great. It's, it's, I think it would be even better. It's entirely possible it could be. I mean, the world wasn't ready for that miniseries. No, it wasn't. Right. And I, I, before the return, I, I wouldn't have thought that. Oh, right. But right. after the return, I'm, I'm like, he just that, that's his thing. Yeah. That's like the perfect vehicle for him. Right. His extended episodic. Yeah. Eighteen yeah. goddamn hours. Right. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, would you give it? Uh, three point seven five. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. No, you're good. You're good, dude. Yeah. yeah. I like. You know, I hate Eraserhead. You know, I mean, I don't get it. So I don't hate it, but you know, again, like, 
I it didn't like, even make my top 50. Right, right. I mean, right. like, I used to love it, but yeah, every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's good. But yeah. It's like. Eraserhead or Mulholland? No, uh, Eraserhead. Like, yeah, you know, it's not as, not quite as good. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of the quintessential um, film school movie. Because, you know, that was his film school. Yeah. Essentially. Aside from, like, the AFI Academy that he was sort of in. It's so miserable <laughs> to watch. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it is. There's no joy. There's no. no joy in a lot of movies that I like, but, man, yeah. I, cannot, I cannot get anything out of Eraserhead. We'll get to I'm the sorry. no joy later on. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, something else, too. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Both, both of our deep dives. That's, that's one way to ruin a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. You want you want to talk about um, other side of the wind and they'll love me when I'm dead? Yeah, let's cool. speed this up. I got I got like 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Kevin and I both watched uh, the the unearthed, put together recently, never finished Orson Welles film uh, oh, on I, Netflix. I, I started it and I didn't finish it. Ah. It's called The Other Side of the Wind. It is about a uh, film director who is absolutely not Orson Welles and I know I'm kind of in any way shape or form (laughs) Uh, and um, before I get I I watched the documentary they'll love me when I'm I'm dead and I'm mad because so many of the thoughts I had were echoed in that documentary and now I'm just going to be quoting the documentary that's on Netflix Uh, as well yeah cool so in so anyway uh, this film director played by Jack Houston, uh, John Houston, John Houston, not Danny Houston or Jack Houston, (laughs) just John Houston. uh, he has uh, he has lost his leading man for his film called The Other Side of the Wind, uh, and he is now trying to gin up interest and support and money by having this uh, basically like what we think of as like a press screening. But he's he's holding like a screening at a party for film people and critics uh, to so he can eventually finish this movie. Um, and so the movie takes place at this party. And we also get to see extended sequences from the film project that he is is working on, and uh, and sorry, and not only. <laughs> so we have the film within a film, the other side of the wind, and uh, the stuff of the party is actually doc quotes documentary footage being shot. Uh, so while we're at the party, you're constantly seeing a film crew walking around filming everybody. Uh, structurally, this is wild Mm. it is just a wild fucking weird thing to see because at first you're not really clear that everything is supposed to look like a documentary and it just almost like looks uh like incompetent footage that has been put together (laughs) into a movie um and they're using all kinds of different film stocks black and white and color uh and then the film within a film is uh i'm gonna call it purposefully bad yeah. And and I made a I made a note that it looks like Antonini's Zabriskie Point, which is I think a terrible movie. Uh, Thank you. And then <laughs> it's a piece of shit. And then <laughs> in the documentary, they're like, and Orson Welles bought the house next to the house where they blew, that they blew up in Zabriskie Point. And I was like, God damn it! <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me be original. Let me be a smart. Wow. Uh, so anyway, uh, Kevin, I saw that you did not like this movie, and uh, and I, my yeah. thoughts to that before I even let you have an opinion were: this is not a movie to like or not like. It's it's almost 
it's almost it's like weird to horse. rate this movie because it's it's never it wasn't completed. Orson Welles did not yeah, complete it. Yeah, uh, we're seeing, and he never finished filming it. Like it's, it's yeah. not just that he didn't get to edit it; he never got to finish shooting all he wanted. So to rate it almost feels not right. But damn it, we did it anyway. Yeah, um, and that that like that was something that like I feel. Um, I said it in my letterbox review about the documentary about uh, this movie. Like, I don't think like I think there's so much more to this story that they didn't give us. Like, Absolutely. Like, for instance, like I don't. Re- I mean, I could be wrong, but. I know, like, Orson Welles was, like, suing the Iranian government because they had, like, seized most of the film. Mm-hmm. Did he ever get the film back? Or, like, how did they get... Like, who put the film together? Was it Netflix? Like, did they finally get the uh, film Netflix, away from the Iranians? Or I, I, I don't remember. Uh, this was not in the documentary, The Love Me When I'm Dead. But yeah. uh, this... Is is this has been in like reviews and articles about this? Uh, Netflix or whatever producing team worked with Netflix paid a lot of money to retrieve uh, this film. Okay, and then a lot mm-hmm. of money to put it all together. Right, but I don't know exactly how they got it. Yeah, like, yeah, because like, yeah, because Orson Orson Welles was filming in this, this in like the early seventies. And, like, he had to put it away for a while because he didn't have any money. Or a leading man. Or a leading man. And then the Cultural Revolution happened in Iran. And, like, they kept they kept the film. They seized it. And, like, he was in Paris trying to sue them to get the film back. And, you know, this whole, like, whole mess of a thing. And, like, I don't know. Like, I think this documentary, like, poses more questions than it answers like the whole thing about like um i mean they they cover it a little bit with like you know he made citizen kane so from then on he was living under enormous pressure but i still don't think that tells the entire story of like how like they say he was basically forced to go down to brazil to film some documentary and while he was gone they started cutting up magnificent ambersons and like you know, they took away a touch of evil from him for whatever reason. It's like there's got to be more to this than oh, he's not making a commercial picture, or you know, you know, we don't uh, think the movie works, or et cetera. You're, et cetera. you're probably right, ex- but working in the Hollywood system, which was like definitely not an auteur friendly system, like cutting movies up happened a lot. Right, and yeah. you're. So again, there probably was more, but having your movie cut up is not an uncommon thing. It's it might just be that we really revere or let I me mean, not not the people at this table, although I might, but we revere Orson Welles as like just a th- one of the best directors that ever worked and he worked in a system that was not about the director. Right. Um, but I don't know. Uh that documentary was also made by the guy who made Will you be my neighbor? About uh, Will Mr. Rogers. Rogers, yeah, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Will Rogers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, and that's you know, that's just kind of like a a masturbation session about all yeah. the positive stuff that Mr. Rogers did. And this is very 
I'll, they'll love me when I'm dead is, is very much like a pro Orson Welles documentary. Yeah. Where we're really just seeing the good things about him. And it's like everything that happened to him was a travesty and he didn't deserve it. And that yeah. might be true, but uh, probably, probably not. Yeah. It was funny. Like whoever like put, put the documentary together, they clearly watched F for fake before they, they started sure doing that. And then he kind of structured it in a similar way. Like, yep. Effort fake is like it's about hoaxes and you know con men and stuff and like in the movie you're never 100% sure what's real or what's not and there's a lot of like contradictory stuff in they'll love me when I'm dead like supposedly he never said they'll love me when I'm dead or you know um, etc etc Morgan Neville is not a very original guy yeah I do not like him yeah funny thing about the documentary that like i was thinking like they were talking about uh bogdanovich and like how like originally when he was in the movie he was supposed to be you know young film critic and like that's kind of what he was at the time but then later on like when he had made a couple of movies and he you know was still friends with orson wells then they showed him as, you know, that's what he was, an acolyte of the director. And I was like, yeah. My only thing is, like, he goes from being a, you know, sniveling little film critic to being a pretentious fop. Because, like, <laughs> I I just, I, I, I've only seen one movie by Bogdanovich. It was Last Picture Show. And I thought it was pretty bad. And seeing him always, like, in his ascots and stuff, you know, like, quintessential, you know, art house goon. Ugh. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Yeah. He made some good movies. What's yeah. Up, Doc? is hilarious. Yeah. Well, they showed a clip from, um, uh, what was that movie he did with Barbara Streisand and um, Ryan O'Neal? And, like, Ryan O'Neal just looked awful. But that's what's up, Doc. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just don't like Ryan O'Neill. That's either. fair. But that so, movie is really funny. Yeah, because like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you guys even say that Orson Welles is like even relevant anymore, like at all, like like his movies at all? Like Citizen Kane. <laughs> I mean, like that's the only one I've ever seen, and I it was just it did nothing for me. I need to watch. <laughs> I need to watch it again because, like, I mean, I will. Ag- I, I will say. <laughs> I mean, at a certain no, point... He, JR needs a minute to calm down. I mean, at a certain point, everything, you know, it's going to... I don't know. At a certain point, it's, he's going to be completely irrelevant. You know what I mean? Right? No? I don't know. In the like, sense that like, like, everyone becomes yeah, I mean, totally irrelevant eventually. <laughs> yeah. I but it's know, like... like it's, he, Citizen Kane is just not... I don't, I don't know. I just didn't find it very... Can't wait for my next deep dive. Good. <laughs> But, I mean, so putting away that is now I, on Blu-ray from Criterion. Putting, just, putting aside the fact that I, I just that's probably my least favorite take that people have. I mean, not I'm not saying that yeah. wrong, but like I don't when I don't get it when people don't like Citizen Kane. I feel like it has a reputation of being like uh, this really important movie, and that automatically makes people just think it's a chore to sit through. And I I don't get that. I mean, just because I, I I can watch that all the time, it is not boring to me at all. 
but well, it's like uh, when people tell does, you it's the greatest film of all time constantly well yeah and i yeah. don't think it's the greatest film of all time i think it's really good i think it is an almost perfect film but i think a lot of films are almost perfect um i mean I, and you know that's not my favorite of his films i like the trial a lot more i like uh chimes at midnight a lot the magnificent ambersons is really good even though it's been cut to shit uh his Macbeth adaptation is great. Touch of Evil is great. Like when I think of Orson Welles, I'm not judging him on one movie because mm. I like most of his. I, mean, I like I like most of his stuff. Cool. Uh, and the other side of the wind is is pretty low on the list. <laughs> um, yeah, just so I guess to I know you said you didn't have much time. So to wrap this up, no, you, you, uh, the first twenty minutes of the other side of the wind are really tough because we are just watching these like dozen characters at a party and they're all annoying because they're all they're supposed to be terrible people <laughs> but they're all moving around like it's like a choreographed thing where they're just constantly moving in and out of like the the camera of the frame just to like deliver a like a quippy one-liner and then walk away mm. and just like it was driving me insane I was like, is this the worst thing I've ever seen? Um, <laughs> Close. And uh, and then we get to like an extended sequence of the film within a film. And though though that is not traditionally good, it is at least interesting. And uh, after that, whenever we spend more time at the, uh, the documentary uh, at the party with John Huston, it, it, it settles a little bit, or maybe I just got used to it and I, I could kind of get with it a bit more. Um, again, this is not a real movie, but I, I give it a three and a half. Three and a half. It's it's very interesting to watch and then think about. And then, like, if you know anything about Orson Welles, you don't need the the documentary that goes along with it to uh, to tell you how it sort of mirrors what he was going through in real life. But mm. that that part is interesting. Yeah, and um like I gave it a two and a half just because I thought like, you know, it was I just thought it was a mess that like didn't really go anywhere. And like granted, it is a mess that doesn't go anywhere. Um, but like what what is in it I didn't find particularly compelling. Although I did like like when my brother told me that Orson Welles directing a movie about an aging director and it had John Huston playing the aging director. I was like, that's perfect. That's like perfect casting. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I really like F for Fake. I thought that was really great. I need to watch Citizen Kane again because it's been forever. Um, I think everyone should watch that again. Just, uh, probably. Well, I mean, I think like the thing I'll be okay for me, if you don't like it. Just, for me, at least, it was like it's, it's worth watching. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you're like beaten over the head with it being, you know, the greatest film of all time, and then like you know, it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily live up to the hype. So, like, because it's been oversold by so many people for so long, you go in and you're expecting the greatest film of all time, and then you know. Not necessarily the case, but I mean, I still think it's super impressive that he was able to make that movie when he was 25. Um, because you know, having that level of artistic vision and artistic craft at 25 is pretty amazing. 
Um, but yeah, like, I'm just like, what I'm taking away from this more is like, I want to know, I want to learn more about Orson Welles. I want to watch more of his movies and like really get a better sense of like this story of him as a person and director and artist. And I think that's probably the point. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I'm, I'm glad Netflix released these things. Yeah, sweet. All right. So, uh, do we have time for Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Um, now, I remember seeing a article from the Guardian about how this was originally supposed to be a series but then it got turned into a movie but now i'm hearing that it was always supposed to be a movie i don't know what the deal with that is that's the coen brothers have have denied that this was ever supposed to be a a mini series now okay and i I say now because i have not kept up with the story Hmm. i don't know what they originally said i have no idea right it definitely could be a mini series oh totally i mean (laughs) each one was like 20 minutes long kind of yeah well yeah it's basically six short yeah. episodes. Yeah, but, but I gotta, I gotta imagine like the two of them, like, you know, okay, Joel, what are we gonna do for our next movie? Black Mirror, but in the Wild West. Sold. Hey, well, you it know, is, it is that level of bleak. We talked last week about maybe how we weren't sold. Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah. We talked I about wasn't, that. I wasn't uh, at all. All right, so. Fears assuaged. We're, yes, indeed. Um, we're all we're all in on this. It seems. Yeah, uh, John, who isn't here, also gave it a four and a half. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll learn more of what he thinks later on. But um, part, large in part to the violence, I'm sure. Oh, for sure, it's, for uh, sure. Pretty, well, also the bleakness. He likes bleak. <laughs> See, personally, like, okay, it begins. Okay, and we have yeah. we have Buster Scruggs, Tim Blake Nelson, just executing yeah. people. Yeah, and uh, and it's great. <laughs> and then the next vignette starts, and I'm like, okay, um, is this like, is this like a prequel to? Uh, yeah, is this like a prequel? Like, is Buster Scruggs going to show up again? And right. It's like, okay. Then the last one goes. I'm like, okay, Buster Scruggs is going to come back, right? Like, he never <laughs> comes back. And I'm like, right. okay, why is this called the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? That reminds me. Someone so, explain this to me, please. Because it was the first one, and it. It sounds good. Well, like they have the okay. thing. They have the thing at the beginning <laughs> with like the you know it's the book, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, yeah. and other other st- stories. I remember you really uh, didn't like that aspect of um, what was the Baumbach movie, um, the Meyerowitz. That's yeah, it, Meyerowitz. Yeah. Meyerowitz Tales, yeah. selected and yeah. whatever. Like, did you were you okay with that this time around? Um, yeah, I didn't mind it. Okay, I really didn't. Um, I just I, I I thought I missed something with the oh, Buster okay. Scruggs, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it, it kind of bothered me. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, the, this Buster yeah. Scruggs thing, though, man, like it starts off with just Buster Scruggs on a horse playing guitar in like a in the desert, yeah, just going about, and he's talking to the camera, and he sounds all nice, and he like Tim Blake Nelson just looks insane. He looks something yeah. is off putting about the way, like maybe it's his skin color or his teeth. I don't know. Something was wrong. Um, and then he even like pulls out a wanted poster to show us that he's he's a wanted misanthrope, and I just totally even after that was so unprepared for how 
he behaved in the, the yeah. cantina full full of criminals and then later in the saloon full of innocent people right poor clancy brown it was just <laughs> insane <laughs> oh god yeah this was so i don't know why why was i so surprised it was so violent i don't know yeah I was. I was yeah take it back yeah I like funny thing like last time we were talking about like how you know people expect thing well I was talking about how people expect different things from the Coen brothers I think this is like the ultimate combination of every aspect of their storytelling like it has the goofy humor it has the dark humor it has the violence it has just the insanity um and like Every, everything that you could want from a Coen Brothers movie is in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, the loquacious bad guy. Loquacious bad guy and, uh, you know, the, you know, themes of, you know, you know death and... Uh, I think, spoiler alert, I think they all end in some kind of death. Yeah. No, five, five of the six end. No. There's dead people in all of them. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> death plays a a big part at the end of all of them. Right. I think I think for the most part they're all pretty serious, except for the except for Buster Scruggs. But yeah. The I second mean, the pan, I mean, even, uh, pan even shot is a little. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing that happens to James Franco is pretty. I mean, it's dark, but it. I think it stays it's, stays funny. Yeah. yeah. Like first time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh. And that was one of the things, too, that I thought was, like, kind of brilliant about what they did as far as, like, you know, uh, the running order of the stories. Like, you know, you get, um, like, first one, Buster Scruggs dies. Second one, James Franco dies. And... Spoiler alert. Yeah. We're (sighs) going to... Whatever. They should come into this knowing that we're going to spoil it by now. Anyway. So, then you get to the third one with uh, Tom Waits. That's and the fourth one. Is it? Third one's with Liam Neeson and Dudley, okay. uh, Dudley Dursey. Yeah, the, yeah. The super Dursley. depressing Dursley. one. Yeah. That one was <laughs> the like... Guy, with the guy from here. The one I actually forgot about because it's... Yeah, I thought it, I thought it came... Grossly in. dark. Yeah, like... But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah. So, death, death, death. And then you get to the Tom Waits one and you think, okay, well, yeah, he's dead. But then he's not. And he Spoiler actually makes city. it... Th- <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, the Tom Tom Waits fucking ruled in this. Oh, I know. Just, like, just a side note that that part it was great. That part where he like gets up and he's yelling at the guy after he's killed him. You know, it didn't hit nothing important. Like, yeah, I like caught myself half between a laugh and a cry. Like, like I like I. <laughs> yeah, it was like that level of affecting. Like, I just I've never. Like, I didn't know what to do. That one had the perfect level of like. A, comedic flourish and then like like dead serious right he's constantly talking to yeah. the, the pocket of gold that he yeah and then, that you know, at the great. beginning the animals kind of like the butterflies like go away and, yeah, you know, and they yeah. like it's like ah that's that's cute you know but then it's fucking dead serious i like that whereas yeah, buster yeah. scruggs was just a little over the top for me and that's that. that's the coen brothers i don't particularly care right. for yeah I st- they're still great i mean like, i'm not i'm never gonna deny that they're not I, great yeah. but i mean like I'm just a little tired of that. <laughs> I, I felt like that. all all six of these were were on brand, but they all felt quite different. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah. So let's. I, I'm curious about this least favorite segment. 
the Liam Neeson one for me. Uh, or the last one. I would say the last one because that one was just like, the, the carriage ride. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, I can't the remember the name ride. of it. The mortal remains. Mortal remains. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't like. I, I would like to watch the mortal remains. Is it was it mortal mortal, I, mortal I think remains? So. That was it. I would like to watch the last one again. Whereas the Liam Neeson one, I'm I'm good. Like yeah, because that, that was, was just kind of. De- so depressing depressing but like i just honestly kind of not that interesting eh, yeah. personally it, I, I, mean, I think it's the that shortest it was, it, was uh, it it's two and three are the shortest and i can't remember which one is actually the shortest might be two now that i, I feel like it was it. two but um, right and i'm pretty sure five was the longest yeah the uh the gal who which got that rattled was, that was another thing that like you know death 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 Oh, someone can actually survive one of these tales, and then you get to the very end of that one. Spoiler alert! And like that, yeah, that, that was hard. That was the one that hurt the most for me. Like, like the one with uh, Liam Neeson and Dudley. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super depressing. But like the way Neeson treated him, like throughout the short, I was like, well, that's sad. But I mean, what what did I really expect? Isn't it also sad that? We don't know that actor's name. We just call him Dudley from Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dudley. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the young woman going west, or whatever that one was called. The, the gal who got rattled. The gal who got rattled. Yeah. Yeah. That, was, that was the most Kazan. affecting. That was my favorite one. Yeah. But, uh, mainly because it, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was trying to do too much, like, you know, artistically, I guess. It was just trying to tell the story. Right. And yeah. I just love the procedural stuff at the end when the Indians are the Native Americans. Uh, you know, he like he just like has all the like he, he like, has to get everything ready. He like ties the uh, the um, the horse's legs up so they don't run off. Then he like puts the saddle down and gets the guy like that shit rules. I love all that stuff. He, like he knows exactly what to do. Right. And yeah, that was great. That, and then it has the horrific ending. So. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was the thing. Uh, like yeah. when I thought like what's his face was dead. I, like I, at that point I had completely forgotten about the girl who got rattled. And then he comes back and find her and she's got a bullet hole through her head. And it's like, Oh my God. And I love, uh, and like the yeah. way, the way the, the way all the stories are set up with the drawings. I love the, the drawing of that one too. He yeah. doesn't know what he's going to tell. Like that, that oh, ruled. I man. love that. That was yeah. that was my favorite one. That was the most thematically well put together. Yeah. yeah. of all of them. And man, uh, everyone in that is so good. And that I have a lot of questions about that story too. Like uh, this woman is going west with her brother to find a potential husband, and they're with his dog, who's annoying as fuck. And <laughs> yeah. It's like, and the guy gets sick. But before he dies, he like runs off, and it's like, where, where did he go? What's he doing? And so after he dies on this road, like she kind of goes to uh, one of the the people. I, I forget the name of this. The people that are leading the uh, yeah. the settlers west, right, right, uh, for help. And he proposes to her, and she accepts a proposal. And then at the end, uh, we're at, at the end. She is run off because she likes walking away from the trail for a reason that becomes clear uh, later. But then, like, the fiancé, the guy, is nowhere to be found. And so this character who has almost never spoken and has not been, we think, really important, like, takes mm. charge and yeah. does this whole climactic uh, Native American Indian battle is just is really odd. 
and I just I really want to know where the fuck that that fiance went. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm well, I, I know I'm that, pretty sure they say it, but I can't remember what I, it was. Yeah, I'm not sure. I th- it, it, it was definitely like one of them is at the back of the train, and then one is at right, the front. Yeah, so yeah. I guess like it's just so far okay. removed. Yeah, that, like, yeah. I don't know. Because at one point, like when they're on the top of the hill, and they show like the rest of the train, and it's like, geez, it's yeah, huge. yeah, it's pretty huge. Yeah. So I, I really liked uh, throughout all of these stories. It, maybe this is because they they filmed this digitally or, or something. I don't know, but they, I felt like they they used some effect, like everything, every like vista, every outdoor location, just mm-hmm. like looks artificial like it's too pretty to be real like the colors pop in a strange way to me and i i thought that looked really cool because these are all like stories they're all supposed to be fake it it seemed like there was like a an artificial thing going throughout the whole thing yeah Um, and i like that juxtaposition of how like dark the stories were like especially like in the uh uh mr pocket one like just seeing that beautiful valley yeah that was insane. yeah it's so <laughs> stunning and then you know yeah it was great to see him rip apart that beautiful valley <laughs> just dozens yeah. of, of systematically holes. just yeah i'm gonna find you you're out there <laughs> yeah. yeah that was good yeah really really good yeah and i've been playing a lot of red dead redemption too so oh just, right yeah this is just right in the Right in the pocket. Right. Good stuff, though. Yeah, it looked it looked great. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I wish more directors would do more Netflix stuff. I wish more directors would do <laughs> just, more we good are, Netflix stuff. Say, we are inconsistent with our <laughs> praise good, and good, hatred good. of Netflix on here. <laughs> Actual like known directors. Yeah. Well, like that was the thing. Like, uh, like the other day, John and I were talking about uh, "Hold the Dark," and how you know, like uh, Jeremy Solnier, the guy who did Green Room and Blue Ruin, it was yeah. like, "Hey, you know, maybe, maybe this will be good." And then it was really bad. Yeah, and, uh, and like I don't necessarily. Well, I sort of blame uh, Macon Blair and Jeremy Solnier for it. But more the fact that there are nine producers credited on this movie. Oh, God. None of which were making Blair or Jeremy Solnier. So See, I'll uh, I'll never like go into this movie on this podcast because uh, it was such a waste of time. But Paul Greengrass's new Netflix movie, 22 July. All right. Was also, Two out of five. was also just pretty bad. Uh, and it looks rough. I, it's just it's weird. I don't know who wrote it with him, but the it was it was the problem was like a conceptual one like the way they told the story was really not good and nothing hmm. parking guys did helped but uh well damn i don't like i just i don't want to blame netflix for that it just sounds like netflix was like ooh, paul greengrass that's sexy yeah and so they just bought it and then it was <clears throat> trash damn. so maybe also uh don't just buy the director's name <laughs> yeah. make sure they have a good idea first right yeah. right that's shit sorry <laughs> anyway um you want to do ratings and move on four and a half yeah sure four four and a half cool and john and gave it four and a half, and too, and a half. So. damn it's uh yeah. i think it's, it's a, number, it's a uh, rarity where like all of us are this close on one movie is it popular like is it 
pe- are know. people watching this? Did, do we do we know? Netflix will never tell us. They'll never no. tell them. That's kind of dumb. Who knows? <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure we could look it up. But and that makes it hard. Uh, like this, <clears throat> this qualifies for Oscar nominations since they put it in a theater. Ah. So I wonder if that'll happen. Probably <laughs> not. But that's all you have to do. The, if it theater. got an Oscar nomination, that would tell us that people are watching it and right. it's popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I think I put this at number nine on my Coen Brothers list. Nice. They make a lot of good movies, so let's move on to the just the best way to spend a fucking weekend yes. night. Oh Ready yeah, depressed. <laughs> Forgot how depressing this and, shit is. And speaking of directors and filming their own lives, no oh, shit. Yeah, I hope that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> I could see. Well, let's just get into it. Right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to move on to uh, Synecdoche, New York, the deep dive, or the second deep deep dive. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Kaufman, 2006? Eight. 2008? Eight. Okay. Um, yeah. What'd you guys think? Have you ever noticed that... <laughs> <laughs> have you ever noticed that Catherine Keener usually plays characters who are just awful people? I, I think she has like a. Oh, now I don't know how to say the word. I want to say, acerbic, acerbic. I can, I can see that. Yeah, she's, she's got like a nasty wit about her. That yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Well, I'm thinking like like Amer- and, really an good. American Crime with uh, her and Ellen Page and like um, uh, what else? Oh, and um, being John Malkovich, she's pretty awful in that as a character. Um, she just like looks condescending. Not, uh, yeah. yeah just and, and uh, yeah. it's great I, <laughs> yeah I, I really like it um so, <laughs> do you want to tell us what this movie's about so uh i don't really i don't really know where to jump in yeah i um uh okay well we've got we've got this guy philip seymour hoffman Rest yeah in peace. he's a um, he's a theater director and he's literally falling apart at the seams like everything conceivably that could be wrong with a human being is apparently wrong with him within the first half hour of the movie, at least. Um, but the play that he's doing is received fairly well. Yeah, and, Death uh, of a Salesman. Yeah, and so he gets a MacArthur Grant. Okay, and he gets a MacArthur Grant, <laughs> which is a fuckload of money, and yeah. uh, he decides to do his, I guess, magnum opus play or something. Right. And it kind of just goes uphill downhill i I don't know i don't know it's a roller coaster yeah it really is and and except that he doesn't have a play yeah instead he has a (laughs) warehouse where he wants to recreate uh the new york city of his experience and fill it with moments in his life so he's constantly updating the play hiring new actors to play the new people in his life right uh, including himself yeah, um, and this is all over the probably like within the span of forty years, I'd say. I guess, right? Yeah, and uh, and we're never entirely sure how long it's taking because, like, there are so many instances where, like, um, I think the first time is when he's in the bar with uh, Hazel, and you know, like, she's been gone for a year. Like, it's only been a week. So like yeah, it actually starts in the kitchen. Oh, the very beginning of the movie. Like he, I think he's looking at the newspaper or no, the radio's talking and it says like it's September 
22nd, whatever the first day of, of fall is. Uh-huh. And then, uh, as he, he like goes and gets the newspaper and it's already like late October. And then like he gets the milk out of the fridge and it's already like November 2nd or oh. something like that. It's, it's yeah. Then that's the first thing I noticed the first time I saw this, I was like, I instantly loved this movie because of that. I was like, that's insanely awesome. And and that justifies the editing at the beginning is, is pretty rapid. Yeah. It, it never lets you settle in a scene. It's constantly, yeah, constantly moving. And that makes sense because our day is constantly yeah. changing. And I think later he goes to the dentist and it's like, yeah. come back in three months. And then it's like, literally this it cuts to him back in the chair right <laughs> so, i'm gonna have to recommend uh dental surgery or yeah gum surgery. gum surgery yeah that was gross yeah and uh so time is just non-existent it's just yeah all over the place yeah definitely. extremely fluid yeah and so time is fluid um space seems to be fluid it is never clear how big this warehouse is it is i mean he makes <laughs> It gets, at it gets, some point when you like there's a warehouse within the warehouse times like three i think yeah it, yeah because <laughs> I, I think at the very end of the movie he sees like a, a map and he like lifts up the flaps it's like warehouse 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 <laughs> yeah it's, yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's fucked uh, but it, yeah it, it's impossibly large that space could never exist in any city i mean it's it's it looks bigger than uh like the truman show complex yeah yeah, I mean, it probably is. Because, like, he's basically, you know, makes out, like, a full, you know, like, section, like, a practically borough of New York. Yeah. You know, in this in this warehouse. And I guess we kind of forget one of the, like, huge lynch, lynchpins of the movie is uh, his, his wife. wife. Yeah. <laughs> his yeah, wife yeah. is an artist, and she uh, she basically leaves him because she wants to find herself or something. With, with the daughter. daughter. Yeah, and they, yeah. they moved to Berlin with... Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, Jennifer Jason yeah. Lee and uh, Maria. Just shit goes insane with that. Yeah. Like that goes off. That gets that to is, some really dark areas. Yeah. And, um, and, and before, even before she leaves, though, um, Phil Seymour Hoffman, Caden. Uh, I can't decide if I want to call him Hoffman or Caden. Caden, uh, this character has he has the attention of too many women. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> one of his actors. Michelle Williams is clearly like in love with him. Yeah. And the receptionist at the movie at the not movie theater at the theater where they're putting on death of a salesman, Samantha Morton clearly, uh, Hazel is infatuated yeah. with, with him as well. Mm. And like, he again is super schlubby and is falling apart emotionally and physically. Yeah. It's like this, this is like, uh, like sitcom husband syndrome where like yeah <laughs> like all why are all these beautiful women in love with this uh wreck of yeah. a human but that kind of i forgot about that as the movie went on where yeah the women more assert themselves but um while he's putting on this play well he never puts it on while they are constantly rehearsing this play for 40 years things uh get progressively sadder Mm. he makes progressively poor decisions about uh relationships with women relationships with uh the multiple daughters he ends up accruing two 
Yeah, and just one At with least. Michelle Williams yeah, and Williams. one with uh, and and the one that moved to Berlin. Yeah, Olive, whose diary he reads throughout the movie, because like you know, there's a fax that comes in from Berlin from the wife. You know, she left her diary behind. Please don't read it. But he's reading it like as like as the years go by, and there's new stuff in it each time. Yeah, and it and that also gets progressively just more and more bizarre and just and it, it culminates towards the end of the movie spoiler alert with a really hard to watch scene I, I I remembered that scene the deathbed scene uh, of Olive and uh I was not prepared for the darkness <laughs> like my god I forgot how like depressing that shit was yeah like I I watched it and I was like what is this? Like, yeah. what purpose does this serve? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's for you to decipher. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> sure. It and, is. and so the, the question for that scene, like where there are these two characters who have not seen each other in, let's say at least 30 years, there's yeah. been no communication. Uh, and it turns out that olives, uh, the people in olives life have been lying about, uh, Phil Seymour Hoffman's character, like they've been saying, you know, Phil Seymour Hoffman left them. Not to uh, mention, not to mention abusing her, but straight up abusing her. I mean, yes. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like, does that's, I don't know. That scene is hard to watch. So does that mean that it works? It's like, there's this hugely emotional scene between two people that we've never seen interact and they're both getting very into it. Does it work? I think it definitely works per- personally because I love, uh, I love, but I mean, I, I, I like Philip Sewer Hoffman's reaction to it. He, he ends up just like, he'll almost just, he just wants, he just still loves his daughter, like no matter what. And he's just accepting these complete lies about himself regardless. It, I don't know. It's, it's tough though. It's like a really, really tough scene. I think it works. It is. And it's also, she's, dying, I, she's dying because of the tattooing infections. That's yeah. fucking weird too. I don't know. Yeah, like the the fact that like you know, like he he finally sees his daughter after all this time. She doesn't speak English, and well, like, she's been living in. Well, yeah, Germany she's been living she in Berlin, seven. but she but she could talk. She could speak English before that. Yeah, so most people in Germany can speak English too, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Take that up with uh, Charlotte Kaufman. Um, but yeah, so then like like her on her deathbed and like the idea that a parent having to see their child like spoiler alert again, like so there's the, all this like really just, you know, insanely horrible stuff that they're that she's saying to him, like just the utmost of humiliations. And then he has to watch his daughter die in front of his eyes. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess you could make an argument for, like, whatever it's supposed to mean or whatever you're supposed to take from it. But I just thought that was just way, just way too far. Yeah. And I I am loath to, like, go through this scene by scene and describe meaning. 
just because that'll that's just like a trap for this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really so is. little of it. Is, yeah, because this is movie literal. is so dense. And but uh, and and I realized that at that point in the movie, there there's a lot of like deck clearing, like the way characters are are getting moved out of the narrative, uh. um, whether by death or just moving on. So it, it felt like maybe Charlie Kaufman just he needed a scene where we wrap up this ongoing thing where he misses his daughter somehow and why not get as much emotion out of it as possible but I, I do I in the moment I also think it is it is hard to watch because it is deeply emotional like just yes he will say anything because he needs so desperately for his daughter to forgive him because his daughter says that's what she needs like his daughter blames him and that's wrong but it it's it's just it's tough and it uh, it works that scene works and I, that is one of it, the most emotional scenes in a movie that is like it's a serious movie and it's a sad movie but it's also absurd like in, right oh, it's absolutely, yeah. it, it, I was on the verge of I mean I hate to say that I was on the verge of laughing it's like several times in this movie yeah, yeah. And, and not uh, not particularly during that scene but like when <laughs> She says, she says, yeah, I mean, she's, <laughs> she's on the deathbed and she's saying like, uh, you, you gave up your life or whatever to like have anal sex with that. I was just like, what the fuck? Homosexual, homosexual sex with your lover. Yeah. It was like yeah. homosexual sex anal. with your lover, Eric. Eric. And he was just like, <laughs> I laughed. I was like, wait, I was like, I, it was the weirdest feeling. Cause it's like laugh crying. I was like, what the fuck is, what is happening in this movie? Yeah. Like, it's extremely yeah. confusing. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh. Like strange, the uh, the fire in the house. Like I guess, I mean, I felt like that was a little on the nose. Like that was the only time I was like, okay, like yeah, yeah. Cause, like, like I, I thought it was on like, the nose at the beginning. Oh, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, like she's for sure like his, the the flame, the one that gets away. Oh, I read that differently. I did too. Oh, but so you're right. You're right about that. I definitely read it more as a as a her thing like her she's at a point where her life is on fire she's like 36 i'm single i don't have a house i don't have anything the guy i want to be with is not interested Mm. and then she buys the house but you are correct in that she definitely she ends up as the one I think in I, I literally took clear. it as like the, I mean the entire movie is like the time doesn't exist in, the, in this movie. She dies in she basically dies of in the fire, so it's just like it's it's always burning. Like it's she buys this house, she buys the the mortgage shackles, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and right. dies in the house. Th- this is what I love about this fucking movie, though. You like, might th- say th- that there are layers. <laughs> Indeed, we all read that totally different. Exactly, right. and that's what that's what. I'm just going to spoil this now. I gave this a fucking five out of five. That's why I love this movie. It's like, holy shit, there's like so much going on. And I, I don't know. I just want to, I almost want to watch it again. Just to accept <laughs> that. God damn it. I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like you were, you were emotionally very <laughs> tough, my friend. <laughs> and that's, so I just said he writes in layers and like there are <coughs> emotional layers. There are layers of meaning. And then there are literally, layers of the narrative where mm. like uh so Caden hires uh a man played by Tom, Stanley Sammy Sammy played by Tom Noonan right. who, who you've seen the, yeah. the whole movie as someone who's just following uh Hoffman around Caden damn it 
Epic. Uh, just following him around, and you see him like in the off in the backgrounds of frames behind uh, trees. Yeah. And eventually, <laughs> when Caden puts out a casting call for someone to play him in the uh, play, Tom Nooner shows up and says, I have no resume, but I've been following you for 17 years. I know you more than you know yourself. And Hoffman's just like, well, that sounds normal. You got the job. <laughs> yeah. Because that's where, that's where Hoffman's at at that yeah. point in his life. <laughs> and, you know, there's all, there's all kinds of complications of, like, Hoffman watching somebody play him in like the arguments he was in the night before. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he's in an argument with his wife, Michelle Williams, but Michelle Williams started as an actress playing herself. Mm -hmm. So she's like, no one ever gets hired to play her. So she's arguing with her husband the night before, but then arguing with the guy who plays her husband (laughs) the next day. And it's just like, that's all fucked. And eventually, uh, Tom Noonan, decides uh he's done and he dies well well first of all uh philip seymour hoffman sees tom noonan with the real hazel gets right. fucking pissed and says uh, no or, no no he sees hazel yeah, real, in new york real hazel yeah uh, he, uh, he see <laughs> this is so oh, oh, yeah, yeah. he sees hazel on vacation in new york with her family her new family yeah gets fucking depressed and says fuck it i'm gonna jump off of uh, j- jump off this building this, a random stranger saves him and it gets reenacted in Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. But there's everyone's an actor, and I, I'm assuming that he just didn't put a, the person there to save himself, right? Or yeah. so there's no one there to save the yeah, or like t- and the Tom copy. Knows that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, like Sammy. Yeah, you know, Sammy. I guess didn't like. I think he's he, maybe, maybe he was counting on yeah. someone to save him, or maybe or maybe he just maybe. like oh well this is this is how this is how the story ends like he'll I, actually yeah. he'll I, I, actually do it. But I then when he he's admonishing the dead body like I didn't jump, Sammy. I never jumped. I was, was going to, but I never. Wow. <laughs> but I think that that scene encapsulates the movie though. It's like he's he's so narcissistic and he's so like in his own head mm. that he doesn't even account for. He does. It's 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 all about him. Yeah, it doesn't like, count yeah, for anything. It, yeah, and and, I, and, and, and it, it goes all the way to the end of the film. It like I feel like the entire movie. He just wants, and like towards the end of the movie, like he gets an earpiece, and it's another person that's playing him. Uh, she is just basically Diane Weiss. Yeah, yeah, she's basically just telling him what to do. And I, I feel like that in the entire his entire life, he's wanted that. He just wanted someone to fucking yeah. tell him what to do. Yeah, yeah. and he's just like. <laughs> I I want to come back to this ending, but I do want to talk about the funeral for Tom Noonan because this is where like I was like this is this is the movie and its tone wrapped up in a nutshell. Yeah, like they go to a funeral for Tom Noonan for Sammy in out in the city. They are outdoors. They are not in the warehouse, and <laughs> it's like this sad scene. And Philip Seymour Hoffman gives this kind of like. What I was thinking, like right, what I heard is like this bullshitty writerly yeah. line about like mm. just all these people, they're not extras, they're they're all leads in their own plays. Like and it's and there's like, like a there's ooh. like a screen yeah. in the background with more yeah. people in the out. <laughs> well, so that they, they go to they recreate this the next day and like that with the actors <laughs> and that scene is immediately undercut yeah. with the ridiculousness of just hearing that line repeated back. And and then also like the pre the, the preacher giving the 
the, like the funeral address is yeah, ridiculous yeah. and then he ends his speech with like uh, I wrote down fuck everybody amen <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then and then when they recreate the like 10 minutes after that when they recreate the warehouse we see them having the funeral reenactment again we got a reenactment of the reenactment <laughs> yeah with, yeah and you hear the same line about how no one's no one's an extra it's just it's almost like Charlie Kaufman has all these like he's a great writer he has all these ideas and I like that he's like oh here's a great one it's really serious <laughs> and then like let me just shit on it over and over again uh, yeah because like yeah. this is all just like it's all analyzing this whole movie is just like you over analyzing your own decisions yeah, That's yeah. I think it. I I think I laughed the hardest what, twi- twice it, like when his father dies and he's like <laughs> there's like not much left of him so it's like a little mini coffin <laughs> coming into the ground yeah like, and then, and the, then second- the woman's like you know like there wasn't much left of him at the end they had to fill it with mothballs <laughs> Like what? And then the second one was like his mother dies by home invasion. Yeah. And then they go back to this house and it isn't cleaned up. I'm like, what the fuck? I really, I really thought someone would clean this up. <laughs> I really thought someone would do it. And then Emily Watson was like, who would do it? Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know. I thought someone would do it. I'm like what? I, I I think I asked the question like ten dot. Like what the fuck am I watching? This is yeah. like verging on like Tim and Eric. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's extreme. It's, it's like it's the serious anti humor. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, so back yeah. back to the end, uh, <laughs> where there, there has been a very slowly and maybe not very. It's like a subtle building of like a dystopian element outside yeah. of the warehouse in New York City. Oh yeah, yeah. Because we've gone into the future and technology hasn't changed very much, but. You you still see you see time passing. It does not look like normal yeah. New York City of 2018 or 2008. Um, and so, like at the end, when he is uh, he has the routine of cleaning the the fake Adele's fake apartment over and over again every day. And Diane Weist is playing he, Kaden. Yeah, he switches places with because yeah. she's hired to be the cleaning lady. And yeah, and, and right, right. Switches. Yeah, and so she is telling him what to do. And what to say in every interaction that he has with another actor, uh, you hear like bombs going off and explosions. And I wanted your thoughts on this. He like the the last scene is him like going through the empty warehouse. You see bodies, but for the most part, it's just like empty and trashed. Yeah. And I was wondering, is that are those dead bodies? Has this really been trashed? Obviously, people are gone, but did they die because like something happened in there or are they still acting and Diane Weist is directing them because that stuff is going on outside and they're just reenacting it inside. I honestly don't know. And and I know the woman he meets on the bench like says they've all died or left, but she's an actor and she could conceivably have been directed yeah. to say that because and she was they are technically writing the scenes every day she yeah. was the mother in like the flashback of someone um maria maria's like childhood flashback or something i don't remember mm. yeah i don't remember whose flashback it was i can't she remember. was she did say that flashback was a long time ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i have no idea um 
got me. I, I'm sorry if I just like went into, into <laughs> bullshit land with overthinking that, but I don't well, know. Like, I was, ever, all of it, it's like so hard to know what is literal in this movie. So I just I was thinking a, I was thinking a similar thing. Like you know, we never actually saw like so he goes to um, his ex wife's apartment and the old lady says, "I'm supposed to give this key to Ellen." We never actually saw Ellen, like the quote unquote real Ellen. Yeah, and so right. like and he she, kept so going like to that he, apartment and right. acting as Ellen. Yeah, and you know, and then he finally gets uh, Diane Weiss to to do it. So like, did but he, is Ellen real, or is that just you know like so I, something I think like we know like a continuing her, fantasy of like you know well she likes Ellen so much that she would make a bedroom for her I think, in the closet. I think he hired an Ellen because of the f- fantasy of Ellen and he probably didn't like that he was the one being Ellen but right before he hires Ellen you see him they cut to him looking at one of Adele's tiny tiny portraits mm. that is being shown in New York City and it oh, is yeah, supposed it looks- to be one it's supposed to be a portrait of Caden but the face looks remarkably like Diane Weiss. Right, yeah. right. And then and he says he that, her. like, you you look remarkably like how, how I, I pictured the myself. character. He's, oh, he does say the character. Yeah, yeah. Because he's the character. Yeah. Uh, a little side note, too. Like, um, the wife's art, like, is keeps getting smaller and smaller. And oh, yeah, his yeah. keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that was, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what the fuck that means, but. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we're not supposed to understand it. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think there's a lot here that we're not supposed to, to get, right? Because we're not Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Film left me feeling uh, pretty lonely. <laughs> Watch this alone on a Friday night. I was like, well, that was great. I'm just gonna drink a lot now. Keep <laughs> <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Don't let your life pass you by. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the meaning of this story. Yeah. Get with Samantha Morton while you have the chance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> That's so, who I would choose. And th- So I'll, I will take this moment to say <clears throat> Samantha Morton is great. In fact, uh, I think every actress in this film is great. Mm. I like yes. all three. Uh, uh, to say them, to call them love interests is reductive, but yeah, yeah. that's just an easy way to categorize them. And then like Emily Watson, who doesn't have a whole lot to do as uh, as Hazel's stand-in, yeah, uh, is great in the scene where they leave the warehouse together. Yeah, it, she is so unlike him, and also unlike Hazel. Whereas like this is a job, and she has her own life and her own ambitions, and you see those play out a little bit after uh, after the scene at the funeral that they go to. But I really liked her. I also found it really amusing that she looked 40 because I think she was about 40 and Samantha Morton looked about 80 and I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah. Samantha Morton's a good bit younger than Emily Watson. Right. Yeah. Great makeup. Indeed. Um, and the last thing I have to say is that I uh, really like the score. Really like that music. Reminded me of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, yeah, the like piano. Yeah, that was yeah, that was fantastic. Um, I, I was trying to think of the scene. I think this is it. I couldn't remember who it was, but it, it's like the flashback of uh, 
it's when like it's when Philip Seymour Hoffman gets himself replaced. He's the cleaning lady, and uh, she's playing him. And it just shows her doing like the the daily life with the gay lover, and it's just like, <laughs> just like, it, it was just so good, and it had that piano score in it, and it was just it was just like a fantastic scene. It's I think they have it on YouTube. Yeah, it's called uh, "Where's My Little Girl," and he's just talking about like his his daughter and stuff, and it was just like extremely affecting. But yeah, and then uh, yeah, that was just a great scene. <clears throat> and now that I mean, it's pretty much the end. Uh, would you get like, satisfied at the end? If if that's a, even a word that we can apply to this, the end is feels a, it feels abrupt. I mean, die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was like, I think it was great. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what it means. I don't know what the whole movie means, but. Uh, it, if I'm going with the whole, like, he doesn't know what the fuck to do with his life and he just wants to be guided, like, it was a great ending. Like, yeah. it's just up to the end. I really like that there's no... He did... He, he had this plaything for decades because there was no logical endpoint. Like, mm. There's... Since he never crafted a story beyond the experience of, of life, there was no, like, real endpoint besides yeah. death. Well, I think the, his whole attempt to to even do the play in the beginning was to figure his life out. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. again, like every bad thing that could possibly happen to him, besides dying, happens to him. Yeah, and he's, he just doesn't know what's going on, and he just wants to be loved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reminds. I laughed. To, I laughed yeah. a lot every time. Like we would see a symptom of something. <laughs> like yeah, when he's yeah. eating dinner and trying to create saliva yeah and then like just bouncing up and down trying to get food down his mouth because he can't swallow yeah and all the poop in the movie too a lot, lot of, of poop in this a movie. lot of rifling through stool yeah, yeah. gotta check that stool yeah <laughs> Dude, there's blood in my stool. really loved when sammy was like oh gray gray poop i've never seen you have gray poop what does that mean yeah <laughs> um what did you guys think about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Kevin, you you going <laughs> to shit on my parade? <laughs> <laughs> you're not a master. You're not the you're not a fan of the master, huh? No, yeah. which which do you have to be? So like this? No. Court, no, well, no, I was just like I I just I, I well, thinking of his track record with Well, yeah, yeah, Philip I mean, I mean I, I like I like still a, uh, I like Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. fine. I just didn't I just didn't like the master, yeah. which, you know, I'm sure is going to re-infuriate John all the more cause <laughs> I also didn't like the master. You're fine. <laughs> I mean, he'll yell at both of us, but whatever. Okay, yeah. We'll both be fired. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he's really good. Like I, I the problem with like anyone's performance in this movie is like, you know, trying to get to grips with the movie itself. So like, does he do a good job? Does he do like I mean, I'm sure he doesn't do a bad job, but, like, how can you, like, look at, like, performances in this kind of thing to, like, really judge them? Um, I mean, I, th- I think all of the emotion that he showed was very real, and so, I th- you know, he was great in that way, but... So, so yeah, to me, just, that, that makes it sound good. Like yeah, yeah. a performance never got in the way of what this film was trying to do. Yeah. Even if I don't know what the film was trying to do, like 
I I was I never had to clock out and be like, well, that was a shitty line reading. Yeah, I, I feel like, like with a movie like this though, like the acting needs to be even better than like your average, like because it, it, it's so, it, you know, if you don't have a story like holding your hand, like yeah, <laughs> what else do you have? Like I don't know. Yeah, you're kind of relying on the actors to like hold Guide your hand you through, through yeah <laughs> through this yeah, and so I'll say I think. Phyllis Seymour Hoffman did a great job because I, I did not feel sufficiently guided, but you know, he was still holding my hand. Yeah. We went through the, we went through the dark together. Right. Um, yeah, I can't, and I, I can't complain about anybody in this movie. Yeah. At all. Even the guy who couldn't learn how to walk right. I liked it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Ratings. So now I'm now I'm nervous because I'm worried that like one of us will give a negative rating, but we haven't really said anything negative about the movie. I mean, it's like we went, went through like a what this means and what he's trying to do, but we never offered besides uh, John Jonathan, we never offered like a qualitative judgment. Yeah, I mean, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say a three only because like like while I was watching it, I like even though I you know enjoyed a lot of the things in it like it just didn't pull me in and like like it really always kept me at a distance not you know with i mean maybe watching it again later on having seen it once before i'll think differently about it but like i don't know i yeah it's like it's like um jr said it's a weird thing to watch by yourself on a friday night (laughs) and and like you know, come it, you know, like try to emotionally come to grips with something like this. Yeah, because it is like there are parts of it that are really fucking depressing, and you know, not really the best thing you want when you've just had like a rough day at work or something. I watched this beast right after work <laughs> on, I, a, on a scale of depression. <laughs> how how depressing is this thing? Uh. Well, I mean, the whole the the movie as a whole, I wouldn't say is super depressing, but there are parts of it hmm. that are you know like as depressing as you can get. I would say the whole thing is depressing. Oh, I, well, <laughs> I mean, we're you know we're talking about feelings. Uh, yeah. I thought I definitely felt like the whole thing was depressing, and uh, one of the th- things I was really nervous about revisiting this movie was, okay, I thought this thing was just. I thought this was incredibly uh, emotional and thus very good when I was 20 when it came out. And I saw it three times in the span of two years. Oh, wow. And I really liked it every time. And I was nervous, you know, now that I'm like an old man, am I just going to think this is like, you know, some like sophomore just bullshit? And and I was was pleasantly surprised to, to find that it, it's not. It does. I feel like it, it earns its deepness and depression. And it also is constantly undermining itself with kind of the silliness and absurdist stuff that I, I, I think that makes it work. That makes it work for more adult, uh, cynical John, JR. My name's JR, not John. Right. <laughs> I also feel like it's coming from a really, um, a really real place i mean charlie kaufman like he's a writer and i, I don't know he can channel some of that and, and 
channel some of his anxiety into into his scripts. I mean, this you could definitely feel it in this movie. Like, I don't know. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. In my notes, I have question mark out of five. <laughs> <laughs> You're just uh, not rating anything lately, are you? Yeah, man. Um, if you really think about it, like, how could you possibly put a number on any, on any movie? <laughs> so much work. Yeah. yeah. People's people's dreams, passion. You're, you're just sticking a number on it. And by the way, I <laughs> you know, I didn't talk about my it. Number earlier. means nothing to them. <laughs> I didn't talk about it earlier, but this afternoon I rewatched Last Jedi, but I fast forward through all the crappy bits. And it's still four and a half. <laughs> All right. I really thought we were going to get out of this podcast without mentioning Star Wars. Damn it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just, I feel What's like the we matter talk, with Star Wars? We talk about it all the time. All, all right. Seriously, we, we don't. Right. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I, I am going to, I'm going to keep my four and a half, uh, that I, that I had from my previous feelings. This is, uh, I, it, I find it powerful. I, I do think that, like at the beginning, just the the focus of the the narrative is just not clear. Maybe it's never clear, but and and I I still I just I don't love that everyone loves Caden. Yeah, like I I do. I think the the how many women love Caden thing is just is not great. It's weird, and it just yeah. and probably doesn't need to be there. Like I don't think necessarily that michelle williams needs to be in this at all even though she's not bad yeah uh but she's like the only one she never gets a life outside of the play and until she decides to quit and leave caden mm-hmm. and she's just out of the narrative completely she's the only one that ever like completely exits the narrative but i think at the same time like it's <laughs> it's kind of depressing that she wasted so much time with yeah, <laughs> super yeah. depressing like like almost her whole life it's horrible. It's uh, pretty terrible. Yeah. And just goes to the, goes to show you more that like, he's just this narcissistic, terrible. And I think too, like she's like for as much as she gave to him, like she was never really that important to him, even though he they was, got married yeah. and had a kid. Like the well, fact, as soon as they the had fact a kid, that he was like, just, oh, I need to go to Berlin and find my daughter. Yeah. You, your daughter's here. No, my real daughter. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I want I want to be I want to be here for you and Olive. Ariel, Ariel, Ariel. Uh, and she took him back after that. Yeah. yeah. And like that Brutal. yeah, that poor woman and like but yeah, like the fact that she's the one who like doesn't recur again like just shows like he never really had it right. had it in had so it for maybe, her. Yeah. So I guess that's what they they wanted at least one per- woman he doesn't care about. Mm. It just well, whatever. Uh, I can't. I can't go full five. You guys know yeah. I'm, I'm allergic to going full five. Understandable. Four and a half. And three. Yes. Cool. And five. Um, <laughs> all right. uh, yeah. All right. All Kevin, right. you want to take us out? Yeah. So to eat. I mean, like, you gonna buy food for us? Oh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> when did this become a thing? <laughs> um, New ritual. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin buys, buys his po- podcast lunch <laughs> or dinner. Whatever. Dinner at this point. Um, well, so for next time, it's my trip. It's 
my choosing for the deep dive. I don't my cho- choosing. <laughs> I yeah. was just going to say my shit. The last this, Jedi. This is my shit now. There was a lot of shit. Yeah, um, yeah so we are going to watch Black Robe from 1991, directed by Bruce Beersford. Black Robe? I don't think I've yes. ever heard of this. It's about this French missionary... And he's trying to travel across uh, Canada to get to this mission where he's supposed to take over, but he needs the natives to guide and protect the um, him and the people that he's going with. And so it's like a real like clash of cultures. And it's been a while since I've seen this one, and I know at least none of y'all have logged it on Letterboxd. So no. this will be this will be an interesting one. Sounds interesting, yeah. Yes. All right. I guess that's it. All right. So as always, feedback at Film Yak Podcast. If you want to berate us or congratulate us or you know just suggest things to us, ask us questions, and we will be seeing y'all next time. Bye. Bye.